0: Chapter Forty Three of the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Deborah Lynn. The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. Chapter Forty Three, showing how Mr. Samuel Weller got into difficulties. In a lofty room, ill-lighted and worse ventilated, situated in Portugal Street, Lincoln's Inn Fields, there sits nearly the whole year round one, two three or four gentlemen in wigs, as the case may be, with little writing-desks before them, constructed after the fashion of those used by the judges of the land, barring the French polish. There is a box of barristers on their right hand, there is an enclosure of insolvent debtors on their left, and there is an inclined plane of most especially dirty faces in their front. These gentlemen are the commissioners of the insolvent court, and the place in which they sit is the insolvent court itself. It is, and has been, time out of mind, the remarkable fate of this court to be, somehow or other, held and understood by the general consent of all the destitute shabby-genteel people in London, as their common resort and place of daily refuge. It is always full. The steams of beer and spirits perpetually ascend to the ceiling, and, being condensed by the heat, roll down the walls like rain. There are more old suits of clothes in it at one time than will be offered for sale in all Houndsditch in a twelve-month. More unwashed skins and grisly beards than all the pumps and shaving shops between Tyburn and Whitechapel could render decent between sunrise and sunset. It must not be supposed that any of these people have the least shadow of business in, or the remotest connection with, the place they insofatigably attend. If they had, it would be no matter of surprise, and the singularity of the thing would cease. Some of them sleep during the greater part of the sitting, others carry small portable dinners wrapped in pocket-handkerchiefs, or sticking out of their worn-out pockets, and munch and listen with equal relish. But no one among them was ever known to have the slightest personal interest in any case that was ever brought forward. Whatever they do, there they sit from the first moment to the last. When it is heavy, rainy weather, they all come in wet through, and at such times the vapours of the court are like those of a fungus-pit. A casual visitor might suppose this place to be a temple dedicated to the genius of seediness. There is not a messenger or process-server attached to it, who wears a coat that was made for him. Not a tolerably fresh or wholesome-looking man in the whole establishment, except a little white-headed apple-faced tipstaff and even he, like an ill-conditioned cherry preserved in brandy, seems to have artificially dried and withered up into a state of preservation to which he can lay no natural claim. The very barrister's wigs are ill-powdered, and their curls lack crispness. But the attorneys who sit at a large bare table below the commissioners are, after all, the greatest curiosities. The professional establishment of the more opulent of these gentlemen consists of a blue bag and a boy, generally a youth of the Jewish persuasion. They have no fixed offices, their legal business being transacted in the parlors of public houses or the yards of prisons, whether they repair in crowds and canvass for customers after the manner of omnibus cads. They are of a greasy and mildewed appearance, and, if they can be said to have any vices at all, perhaps drinking and cheating are the most conspicuous among them. Their residences are usually on the outskirts of the rules, chiefly lying within a circle of one mile from the obelisk in St. George's Fields. Their looks are not prepossessing, and their manners are peculiar. Mr. Solomon Pell, one of this learned body, was a fat, flabby, pale man in a surtout which looked green one minute and brown the next, with a velvet collar of the same chameleon tints. His forehead was narrow, his face wide, his head large and his nose all on one side, as if nature, indignant with the propensity she observed in him in his birth, had given it an angry tweak which it had never recovered. Being short necked and asthmatic, however, he respired principally through this feature. So, perhaps, what it wanted in ornament it made up in usefulness. I'm sure to bring him through it, said mister Pell. Are you, though? replied the person to whom the assurance was pledged certain sure replied pell but if he'd gone to any irregular practitioner mind you i wouldn't have answered for the consequences ah said the other with open mouth no that i wouldn't said mr pell and he pursed up his lips frowned and shook his head mysteriously now the place where this discourse occurred was the public-house just opposite to the insolvent court and the person with whom it was held was no other than the elder mr weller who had come there to comfort and console a friend whose petition to be discharged under the act was to be that day heard and whose attorney he was at that moment consulting and where is george inquired the old gentleman mr pell jerked his head in the direction of a back parlour whither mr weller at once repairing was immediately greeted in the warmest and most flattering manner by some half-dozen of his professional brethren in token of their gratification at his arrival The insolvent gentleman, who had contracted a speculative but imprudent passion for horsing long stages, which had led to his present embarrassments, looked extremely well, and was soothing the excitement of his feelings with shrimps and porter. The salutation between Mr. Weller and his friends was strictly confined to the freemasonry of the craft, consisting of a jerking round of the right wrist and a tossing of the little finger into the air at the same time. We once knew two famous coachmen—they are dead now, poor fellows—who were twins, and between whom an unaffected and devoted attachment existed. They passed each other on the Dover Road every day for twenty-four years, never exchanging any other greeting than this. And yet, when one died, the other pined away and soon afterwards followed him. Well, George,' said Mr. Weller, Sr., taking off his upper coat and seating himself with his accustomed gravity, "'how is it?' "'All right behind and full inside?' "'All right, old feller,' replied the embarrassed gentleman. "'Is the grey mare made over to anybody?' inquired Mr. Weller anxiously. George nodded in the affirmative. "'Well, that's all right,' said Mr. Weller. "'Coach taken care and also?' Consigned in a safe quarter,' replied George, wringing the heads off half a dozen shrimps and swallowing them without any more ado. "'Very good, very good,' said Mr. Weller always see to the drag when you go down hill is the way bill all clear and straightforward the schedule sir said pell guessing at mr weller's meaning the schedule is as plain and satisfactory as pen and ink can make it mr weller nodded in a manner which bespoke his inward approval of these arrangements and then turning to mr pell said pointing to his friend george when do you take his cloths off why replied mr pell he stands third on the opposed list and i should think it would be his turn in about half an hour i told my clerk to come over and tell us when there was a chance mr weller surveyed the attorney from head to foot with great admiration and said emphatically and what'll you take sir why really replied mr pell you're very upon my word and honour i'm not in the habit of it's so very early in the morning that actually i am almost well you may bring me three-pennerth of rum my dear the officiating damsel who had anticipated the order before it was given set the glass of spirits before pell and retired gentlemen said mr pell looking round upon the company success to your friend i don't like to boast gentlemen it's not my way but i can't help saying that if your friend hadn't been fortunate enough to fall into hands that but i won't say what i was going to say gentlemen my service to you having emptied the glass in a twinkling mr pell smacked his lips and looked complacently round on the assembled coachman Who evidently regarded him as a species of divinity let me see said the legal authority what was i a saying gentlemen i think you was remarking as you wouldn't have no objection to another of the same sir said mr weller with grave facetiousness ha ha laughed mr pell not bad not bad a professional man too at this time of the morning it would be rather too good a well i don't know my dear you may do that again if you please This last sound was a solemn and dignified cough in which mr pell observing an indecent tendency to mirth in some of his auditors considered it due to himself to indulge the late lord chancellor gentleman was very fond of me said mr pell and very creditable in him too interposed mr weller hear hear assented mr pell's client why shouldn't he be ah why indeed said a very red-faced man who had said nothing yet and who looked extremely unlikely to say anything more why shouldn't he a murmur of assent ran through the company i remember gentlemen said mr pell dining with him on one occasion there was only us two but everything as splendid as if twenty people had been expected the great seal on a dumb waiter at his right hand and a man in a bag-wig and suit of armor guarding the mace with a drawn sword and silk stockings which is perpetually done gentlemen night and day When he said, Pell, he said, No false delicacy, Pell. You're a man of talent. You can get anybody through the insolvent court, Pell, and your country should be proud of you. Those were his very words. My lord, I said, you flatter me. Pell, he said, if I do, I'm damned. Did he say that? inquired Mr. Weller. He did, replied Pell. Well, then, said Mr. Weller, I say Parliament ought to ha' took it up and if he'd been a poor man, they would have done it. But my dear friend, argued Mr. Pell, it was in confidence. In what? said Mr. Weller. In confidence. Oh, very good, replied Mr. Weller, after a little reflection. If he damned himself in confidence, of course, that was another thing. Of course it was, said Mr. Pell. The distinction's obvious, you will perceive. Alters the case entirely, said Mr. Weller. Go on, sir.' no i will not go on sir said mr pell in a low and serious tone you have reminded me sir that this conversation was private private and confidential gentlemen gentlemen i am a professional man it may be that i am a good deal looked up to in my profession it may be that i am not most people know i say nothing observations have already been made in this room injurious to the reputation of my noble friend you will excuse me gentlemen I was imprudent. I feel that I have no right to mention this matter without his concurrence. Thank you, sir, thank you. Thus delivering himself, Mr. Pell thrust his hands into his pockets and, frowning grimly around, rattled three halfpence with terrible determination. This virtuous resolution had scarcely been formed when the boy and the blue bag, who were inseparable companions, rushed violently into the room and said, at least the boy did, for the blue bag took no part in the announcement that the case was coming on directly. The intelligence was no sooner received than the whole party hurried across the street and began to fight their way into court, a preparatory ceremony which has been calculated to occupy, in ordinary cases, from twenty-five minutes to thirty. Mr. Weller, being stout, cast himself at once into the crowd, with the desperate hope of ultimately turning up in some place which would suit him. His success was not quite equal to his expectations for having neglected to take his hat off, it was knocked over his eyes by some unseen person upon whose toes he had alighted with considerable force. Apparently this individual regretted his impetuosity immediately afterwards, for muttering an indistinct exclamation of surprise, he dragged the old man out into the hall, and after a violent struggle released his head and face. "'Samoval!' exclaimed Mr. Weller, when he was thus enabled to behold his rescuer sam nodded you're a dutiful and affectionate little boy you are ain't you said mr weller to come a bonnetin your father in his old age how should i know who you was replied the son do you s'pose i was to tell you by the weight of your foot well that's very true sammy replied mr weller mollified at once but what are you a doin' on here your governor can't do no good here sammy they won't pass that wordick. they won't pass it sammy and Mr. Weller shook his head with legal solemnity. "What a perverse old file it is!" exclaimed Sam. "Always oh, a going on about wordicks and alibis and that. Who said anything about the wordick?" Mr. Weller made no reply, but once more shook his head most learnedly. "Leave off rattling that ere knob o' yourn, if you don't want it to come off the springs altogether," said Sam impatiently. "And behave reasonable. I went all the way down to the Marcus O'Grandy arter you last night." "'Did you see the Marchioness of Granby, Sammy?' inquired Mr. Weller, with a sigh. "'Yes, I did,' replied Sam. "'How was the dear creetur a-lookin?' "'Wery queer,' said Sam. "'I think she's a injurin' herself gradually "'with too much of that air pineapple rum "'and other strong medicines of the same nature. "'You don't mean that, Sammy,' said the senior, earnestly. "'I do indeed,' replied the junior. "'Mr. Weller seized his son's hand,' clasped it and let it fall. There was an expression on his countenance in doing so, not of dismay or apprehension, but partaking more of the sweet and gentle character of hope. A gleam of resignation and even of cheerfulness passed over his face, too, as he slowly said, "'I ain't quite certain, Sammy. I wouldn't like to say I was altogether positive, in case of any subsequent disappointment. But I rather think, my boy, I rather think that the shepherd's got the liver complaint.' Does he look bad? Inquired Sam. His uncommon pale, replied his father. Except about the nose, which is redder than ever. His appetite is weary, so so, but he imbibes wonderful. Some thoughts of the rum appeared to obtrude themselves on Mister. Weller's mind as he said this, for he looked gloomy and thoughtful. But he very shortly recovered, as was testified by a perfect alphabet of winks, in which he was only wont to indulge when particularly pleased. Well, now, said Sam. "'About my affair. Just open them ears, yourn and don't say nothing till I've done.' With this preface, Sam related, as succinctly as he could, the last memorable conversation he had had with Mr. Pickwick. "'Stop there by himself, poor creature exclaimed the elder Mr. Weller. "'Without nobody to take his part? It can't be done, sam It can't be done!' "'Of course it can't,' asserted Sam. "'I knowed that afore I came.' "'Why, they'll eat him up alive, Sammy,' exclaimed Mr. Weller sam nodded his concurrence in the opinion he goes in rather raw sammy said mr weller metaphorically and he'll come out done so exceedin' brown that his most familiar friends won't know him roast pigeons nothing to it sammy again sam weller nodded it oughtn't to be samoval said mr weller gravely it mustn't be said sam certainly not said mr weller well now,' said Sam, "'you've been a prophesying away "'wary fine like a red-faced Nixon "'as the sixpenny books gives pictures on.' "'Who was he, Sammy?' inquired Mr. Weller. "'Never mind who he was,' retorted Sam. "'He warn't a coachman. That's enough for you.' "'I know a ostler o' that name,' said Mr. Weller, musing. "'It warn't him,' said Sam. "'This here gentleman was a prophet.' "'What's a prophet?' inquired Mr. Weller, "'looking sternly on his son.' "'Why, a man as tells what's a-goin' to happen,' replied Sam. "'I wish I'd known him, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller. "'P'raps he might a throwed a small light on that air liver complaint as we was a-speakin' on just now. howsever if he's dead, and ain't left the business to nobody, there's an end in it.' "'Go on, Sammy,' said Mr. Weller, with a sigh. "'Well,' said Sam, "'you've been a-prophesyin' a, a about what'll happen to the governor if he's left alone. Don't you see any way o' takin' care in him?' no i don't sammy said mr weller with a reflective visage no vay at all inquired sam no ve," said mr weller unless and a gleam of intelligence lighted up his countenance as he sank his voice to a whisper and applied his mouth to the ear of his offspring unless it is getting him out in a turn-up bedstead unbeknown to the turnkeys sammy or dressing him up like a old ooman with a green whale sam weller received both of these suggestions with unexpected contempt and again, propounded his question. No, said the old gentleman. If he won't let you stop there, I see no vay at all. It's no thoroughfare, Sammy, no thoroughfare. Well then, I'll tell you what it is, said Sam. I'll trouble you for the loan of five and twenty pound. What good'll that do? Inquired Mister Weller. Never mind, replied Sam. Perhaps you may ask for it five minutes arterwards. "'P'raps I may say I won't pay and cut up rough you won't think o arrestin your own son for the money and sendin him off to the fleet will you you unnatural wagabone at this reply of sam's the father and son exchanged a complete code of telegraph nods and gestures after which the elder mr weller sat himself down on a stone step and laughed till he was purple what a old image it is exclaimed sam indignant at this loss of time what are you a settin down there for convertin your face into a street-door knocker when there's so much to be done, where is the money? In the boot, Sammy, in the boot, replied Mr. Weller, composing his features. Hold my hat, Sammy. Having divested himself of this encumbrance, Mr. Weller gave his body a sudden wrench to one side, and by a dexterous twist contrived to get his right hand into a most capacious pocket, from whence, after a great deal of panting and exertion, he extricated a pocket book of the large octavo size fastened by a huge leathern strap. From this ledger he drew forth a couple of whip-lashes, three or four buckles, a little sample bag of corn, and finally a small roll of very dirty bank-notes, from which he selected the required amount which he handed over to Sam. And now, Sammy, said the old gentleman, when the whip-lashes and the buckles and the samples had been all put back, and the book once more deposited at the bottom of the same pocket, Now, Sammy, I know a gentleman here as'll do the rest of the business for us in no time. A limb of the law, Sammy, as has got brains like the frogs, dispersed all over his body and reaching to the very tips of his fingers. A friend of the Lord Chancellorship's, Sammy, who'd only have to tell him what he wanted and he'd lock you up for life, if that was all. I say, said Sam, none of that. None of what? inquired Mr. Weller. Why, "'None of them unconstitutional ways of doing it,' retorted Sam. "'The his carcass next to the perpetual motion "'is one of the blessedest things as was ever made. "'I've read that air in the newspapers very often.' "'Well, what's that got to do with it?' inquired Mr. Weller. "'Just this here,' said Sam, "'that I'll patronize the invention and go in that way, "'no visperins to the chancellorship. "'I don't like the notion.' It mayn't be altogether safe, with reference to getting out again. Deferring to his son's feeling upon this point, Mr. Weller at once sought the erudite Solomon Pell, and acquainted him with his desire to issue a writ, instantly, for the sum of twenty-five pounds, in costs of process, to be executed without delay upon the body of one Samuel Weller, the charges thereby incurred to be paid in advance to Solomon Pell. The attorney was in high glee for the embarrassed coach-horser was ordered to be discharged forthwith. He highly approved of Sam's attachment to his master, declared that it strongly reminded him of his own feelings of devotion to his friend, the Chancellor, and at once led the elder Mr. Weller down to the temple to swear the affidavit of debt which the boy, with the assistance of the blue bag, had drawn up on the spot. Meanwhile. Sam, having been formally introduced to the whitewashed gentleman and his friends as the offspring of Mr. Weller of the Bell Savage, was treated with marked distinction, and invited to regale himself with them in honour of the occasion, an invitation which he was by no means backward in accepting. The mirth of gentlemen of this class is of a grave and quiet character, usually, but the present instance was one of peculiar festivity, and they relaxed in proportion after some rather tumultuous toasting of the chief commissioner and mr solomon pell who had that day displayed such transcendent abilities a mottled-faced gentleman in a blue shawl proposed that somebody should sing a song the obvious suggestion was that the mottled-faced gentleman being anxious for a song should sing it himself but this the mottled-faced gentleman sturdily and somewhat offensively declined to do upon which as is not unusual in such cases a rather angry colloquy ensued gentlemen said the coach-horser rather than disturb the harmony of this delightful occasion perhaps mr samuel weller will oblige the company rally gentlemen said sam i'm not very much in the habit of singin' without the instrument but anything for a quiet life as the man said when he took the situation at the lighthouse with this prelude mr samuel weller burst at once into the following wild and beautiful legend which under the impression that it is not generally known we take the liberty of quoting we would beg to call particular attention to the monosyllable at the end of the second and fourth lines which not only enables the singer to take breath at those points but greatly assists the meter romance one, bold turpin vance on hounslow heath his bold mare best bestroder ven there he seed the bishop's coach a comin' along the roader so he gallops close to the horse's legs, and he claps his head within. And the bishop says, sure as eggs is eggs, this here's the bold turpin. Chorus. And the bishop says, sure as eggs is eggs, this here's the bold turpin. Two. Says, turpin, you shall eat your words with a sarse of leaden bullet. So he puts a pistol to his mouth, and he fires it down his gullet. The coachman, he not liking the job, set off at full gallop but dick put a couple of balls in his knob and perwailed on him to stop chorus sarcastically but dick put a couple of balls in his knob and perwailed on him to stop i maintain that that ere song's personal to the cloth said the mottled-faced gentleman interrupting it at this point i demand the name of that coachman nobody knowed," replied sam he hadn't got his card in his pocket i object to the introduction of politics said the mottled-faced gentleman I submit that in the present company that air song's political, and what's much the same, that it ain't true. I say that that coachman did not run away, but that he died game, game as pheasants, and it won't hear nothing said to the contrary. As the mottled-faced gentleman spoke with great energy and determination, and as the opinions of the company seemed divided on the subject, it threatened to give rise to fresh altercation, when Mr. Weller and Mr. Pell most opportunely arrived. All right, Sammy. Said Mr. Weller, the officer will be here at four o'clock. Said Mr. Pell, I suppose you won't run away meanwhile, eh? Ha <laughs> ha, perhaps my cruel pa'll relent afore then, replied Sam with a broad grin. Not I said the elder Mr. Weller, do said Sam, not on no account, replied the inexorable creditor. I'll give bills for the amount at sixpence a month. Said Sam, I won't take em said Mr. Weller ha 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 very good very good said mr solomon pell who was making out his little bill of costs a very amusing incident indeed benjamin copy that and mr pell smiled again as he called mr weller's attention to the amount thank you thank you said the professional gentleman taking up another of the greasy notes as mr weller took it from the pocket-book three ten and one ten is five much obliged to you mr weller Your son is a most deserving young man. Very much so, indeed, sir. It's a very pleasant trait in a young man's character. Very much so, added Mr. Pell, smiling smoothly round as he buttoned up the money. What a game it is, said the elder Mr. Weller with a chuckle. A regular prodigy son. Prodigal, prodigal son, sir, suggested Mr. Pell, mildly. Never mind, sir, said Mr. Weller with dignity. I know what's o'clock, sir. When I don't, I'll ask you, sir. By the time the officer arrived, Sam had made himself so extremely popular that the congregated gentlemen determined to see him to prison in a body. So off they set, the plaintiff and defendant walking arm in arm, the officer in front, and eight stout coachmen bringing up the rear. At Sargent's Inn Coffee House the whole party halted to refresh, and the legal arrangements being completed the procession moved on again. Some little commotion was occasioned in Fleet Street by the pleasantry of the eight gentlemen in the flank, who persevered in walking four abreast. It was also found necessary to leave the mottled-faced gentleman behind to fight a ticket-porter, it being arranged that his friends should call for him as they came back. Nothing but these little incidents occurred on the way. When they reached the gate of the fleet, the cavalcade, taking the time from the plaintiff, gave three tremendous cheers for the defendant, and, after having shaken hands all round, left him. Sam, having been formally delivered into the warder's custody, to the intense astonishment of Roker, and the evident emotion of even the phlegmatic Nettie, passed at once into the prison, walked straight to his master's room, and knocked at the door. "'Come in,' said Mr. Pickwick. Sam appeared, pulled off his hat, and smiled. "'Ah, Sam, my good lad,' said Mr. Pickwick, evidently delighted to see his humble friend again. I had no intention of hurting your feelings yesterday, my faithful fellow, by what I said. Put down your hat, Sam, and let me explain my meaning a little more at length. "'Won't presently do, sir?' inquired Sam. "'Certainly,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'But why not now?' "'I'd rather not now, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'Why?' inquired Mr. Pickwick. "'Cause,' said Sam, hesitating. "'Because of what?' inquired Mr. Pickwick, alarmed at his follower's manner. "'Speak out, Sam.' "'Cause,' rejoined Sam, "'cause I've got a little business, as I want to do.' "'What business?' inquired Mr. Pickwick, surprised at Sam's confused manner. "'Nothing particular, sir,' replied Sam. "'Oh, if it's nothing particular,' said Mr. Pickwick, with a smile, "'you can speak with me first. "'I think I'd better see arter it at once,' said Sam, still hesitating. Mr. Pickwick looked amazed, but said nothing. "'The fact is,' said Sam, stopping short, "'Well,' said Mr. Pickwick, "'speak out, Sam.' Well, the fact is,' said Sam, with a desperate effort, "'perhaps I'd better see arter my bed afore I do anything else.' "'Your bed!' exclaimed Mr. Pickwick, in astonishment. "'Yes, my bed, sir,' replied Sam. "'I'm a prisoner. "'I was arrested this here wery afternoon for debt.' "'You arrested for debt?' exclaimed Mr. Pickwick, sinking into a chair. "'Yes, for debt, sir,' replied Sam.' "'And the man as puts me in'll never let me out till you go yourself.' "'Bless my heart and soul,' ejaculated Mr. Pickwick. "'What do you mean?' "'What I say, sir,' rejoined Sam. "'If it's forty years to come, I shall be a prisoner. "'And I'm very glad in it. "'And if it had been Newgate, it would have been just the same. "'Now the murder's out, and, dammy, there's an end in it.' With these words, which he repeated with great emphasis and violence, Sam Weller dashed his hat upon the ground. In a most unusual state of excitement, and then folding his arms, looked firmly and fixedly in his master's face. End of chapter forty three.